Hello and welcome. These are some sermons given by Monsignor Rosito from the years 1995 to the year 2016. Enjoy. Today is the fourth Sunday in Lent and the epistle is taken from St. Paul's letter to the Galatians. Brethren, it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a slave girl and the other by a free woman. And the son of the slave girl was born according to the flesh, but the son of the free woman in virtue of the promise. This is said by way of allegory, for these are the two covenants, one indeed from Mount Sinai, bringing forth children into bondage, which is Agar, that is the slave girl. <clears throat> for Sinai is a mountain in Arabia, which corresponds to the present Jerusalem and is in slavery with her children. But that Jerusalem which is above is free, which is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that dost not bear. <clears throat> Break forth and cry, thou that dost not travail. For many are the children of the desolate more than of her that has a husband. Now we, brethren, are the children of promise, as Isaac was. But as then he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave girl and her son, for the son of the slave girl shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Therefore, brethren, we are not children of a slave girl, but of the free woman, in virtue of the freedom wherewith Christ has made us free. And the Holy Gospel is taken from the Gospel according to St. John. In the name of the Father, <clears throat> and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. At that time, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is that of Tiberias. And there followed him a great crowd, because they witnessed the signs he worked on those who were sick. Jesus, therefore, went up the mountain and sat there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. When, therefore, Jesus had lifted up his eyes and seen that a very great crowd had come to him, he said to Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? But he said this to try him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not enough for them, that each one may receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, the brother of Simon Peter, said to him, There is a young boy here who has five barley loaves and two fishes. But what are these among so many? Jesus then said, Make the people recline. Now there was much grass in the place. The people therefore reclined in number about 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, distributed them to those reclining, and likewise the fishes, as much as they wished. But when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather the fragments that are left over, lest they be wasted. They therefore gathered them up, and they filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. When the people therefore had seen the sign which Jesus had worked, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. So when Jesus perceived that they would come to take him by force and make him king, he fled again to the mountain himself alone. So far are the words of this day's Holy Gospel. Brethren, it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a slave girl and the other by a free woman. His words taken from the epistle of today's Holy Mass in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. <coughs> My dear friends in Christ,
A number of years ago, there was a popular musical love ballad called Two Different Worlds. One of the lines read that we live in two different worlds. You might say that Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet is based on this theme. These two young people who were in love with each other came from families that were at war with each other. And indeed, they did come from two different worlds. Many years earlier than that, in my childhood, there was an unsuccessful presidential candidate who wrote and sponsored a book called One World. And today we see that theme continuing in the movement towards a one world government, one world religion, one worldwide political <coughs> unity. Today the one world government is being prepared for but without God, based purely on man, humanitarianism, or secular humanism, as it's called. It's been recognized by the Supreme Court as a religion, but it takes on the aspect of a political movement rather than one of religion. And in it, the secular big brother government will be a worldwide operation without Christ, or rather with a false Christ, or to be more precise, with an anti-Christ. How do parents and children live today compared to the ideals and standards of many years ago? Indeed, we do live in two different worlds. The world of my childhood is not the world that we find today as we probe into what is happening on the political, military, economic, religious levels. What has happened? There has been a shift in this one world from a Christian world to a pagan world. We see it. It's in evidence in so many different ways. And the shift is very simple. There's a mechanism that operates that we, when we look at it in sort of an overview, we see that what once existed is shifted by simple operation from a God-centeredness to a man-centeredness. We have governments, we have politics, we have statesmanship, we have societies, we have its rules and regulations, but it's like the money situation. The money that we use today, the dollar bills and all that, at one time was backed by gold. You could turn this piece of paper in for gold that had substantial value because it is long-lasting. It uh, has uh, scarcity that makes it valuable. And if you turned in this paper dollar or whatever the bill was, you could receive in return in exchange gold itself. So you had a positive, valuable a substance that when the backing was taken from this money system, it inverted, became a credit system. Before, when you had gold that you could exchange, you had a value that you could use 
and by and work down from the plus to the zero. But when you take away the gold backing to this money symbol, then you have a reverse system where you are in debt and you pay back to a zero situation. You never become a plus. We call this credit banking, credit money. It's passing around IOUs. We don't recognize that it's an IOU. Rather, you think it's a value of a plus kind, but it's a minus. But it's still the same currency that was once used backed by gold, now no longer backed by gold, and gone from a plus currency to a minus currency in front of our eyes without recognizing what has happened just in the monetary um, situation. So too in religion, for example. We had the religion that was God-centered, and we upheld the laws of God. But there's been a gradual shift in a civilization that carried along with the religious um, orientation to a man-centeredness. And religion goes from a plus value to a minus value. Ignoring the truths of our faith that man is born in a fallen condition, the new teaching is that man is in a healthy condition. He's born good, and therefore there is a different meaning to the same word original sin. It's not original sin from Adam and Eve, but it's a sinful condition of the world that we're born into. And therefore, baptism takes on, though it's the same word, a different meaning. Instead of being free from original sin by the giving of grace, man is already in the state of grace at birth, and he is preserved in that initiation called baptism into the Christian community that will protect that faith, that integrity, so that he will not fall into sin, which, if he does, becomes his original sin, his first sin. In government, we had upright politicians under God who observed the laws of God and promoted them through the man's uh, representation of this divine series of commandments of God. But when that was detached from the recognition and service of God, it was rooted in man and man's rights rather than God's rights. And therefore... What happened was that recognizing that man is not really under original sin but good, that he would be educated to this goodness and maintained in this goodness by human means. Now what happened is that men taught freedom, freedom that is absolute. He can do whatever he pleases, he can say whatever he wishes, uh, it began to produce evil results because there was anarchy and there was a breaking of these laws of freedom. Who's going to be restrained if there's full-fledged freedom? There are no laws that apply to one who's in anarchy. And because of the evils that came from this excessive and false freedom, government stepped in and began to impose controls not only of the evil people, the criminals, but also of the good people. We have now the right of policemen to search and seize anything that they feel is out of order. And you have lost that privacy, that freedom, because of the criminals among us, created by the very laws that permit them freedom that they abuse and therefore bring down upon all of us 
this control that is increasing. Not only is search and seizure is forfeited, uh, is uh, uphold, upheld, but also I was told after the first mass this morning that there are two legislators, I believe from Minnesota and Wisconsin, who introduced a bill that women who go into a hospital to have a baby will be required to have a license permitting them to have a baby. Otherwise, without that license, the baby will be taken away from them in the hospital. Say, so where does the government get this right? Now, it's not a bill, it's not a law yet, but it has been introduced. And it's similar to that which China, the women in China, are subjugated to a limitation of their families. And we see that that which was good at one time, because it turned away from God into man, now produces the evils that affect us all. So the good suffer because evil is permitted. We see the two worlds, how they slip from one to another right before our eyes without recognizing that what was good is now banned. And the leaders who were once honorable, upright statesmen, patriotic and good, have become evil and become tyrannical and we find them subverted and inverted as we've seen the pattern of mechanism that takes place when evil is permitted to continue to its ultimate extreme to inversion when good becomes evil and evil becomes good. So we do live in two different worlds. Now, how do you pro, uh, direct parents? How do we direct parents then today on their duties toward their children? We don't have the same world that was once envisioned as a presumption against uh, or upon which these rules for parents were predicated. We were taught to obey civil authority. And yet if we obey civil authority, we find in some cases the laws that are now free for us to um, uh, operate under abortion, um, birth control, divorce, all these things that gradually have accumulated now are producing further evils and extensions. How can we read the old rules to you without putting this proviso or, or, or caution that we must be true to God rather than to man? We must obey God rather than man. We must obey God's laws rather than man's laws when they are out of order with God's laws. And what penalties will we then be forced to face? And what persecution will we will be expecting when these things continue to progress? from bad to worse to perversion and into inversions. We need a new evaluation of the world as it is, not as it should be or as we think it to be. We have to look at the actual world, not the real world, but the world as it actually is, illusory, false, and inverted, so that <clears throat> we see that it is a different world and not the one kind that we once knew as children. Even in our own lifetimes, you young people can see how much things have changed and are continuing to change rather rapidly in these later years. It is so different from the world that was at one time more fully under Christ or Christianity known as the Christian civilization. So we turn then to our lesson for today, Under Authority, the Fourth Commandment, of parents being honored by their children, but also the reciprocal duty of parents 
and their duties towards their children. The question then, what duties have parents towards their children? The answer is parents must provide for the spiritual and bodily welfare of their children. Notice that word in there, must. They must provide for the spiritual and bodily welfare of their children. The fourth commandment requires parents to love their children and care for them in body and soul. It's a natural instinct God puts into the hearts of good parents to love these children God has given them. And there is no greater love than that of a good parent for the child. And it is a duty. So you might say it's like being in harmony with truth. When you go along with the truth, it's light as a feather. When you oppose that truth, it becomes heavy as a rock. So the same thing when you consider it can be good, easy when you accept it, and very difficult and burdensome when you oppose it. Parents have this gift, this grace. In fact, the sacrament of marriage entitles them to this special help to fulfill their duties as parents towards their children, to love them, care for them spiritually and physically. Their duties require parents or provision for their children's religious and moral training, bodily needs, education, discipline, manners, and so on. This is a duty. Parents must provide a minor, a child, with food and clothing, guard him from sickness and accidents, give him suitable play and exercise. It is the duty of parents to exercise personal supervision. You can't put it off to somebody else to do. And not leave everything to household help. If you have a servant, which we're not in that category, but uh, we have uh, daycare centers. We have um, alternatives, babysitters. God gave children to parents, not to nursemaids. Likewise, those institutions called nurseries, where even babies may be left all day, however good they may be, and even if they are under the supervision of uh, Catholic sisters, nuns, should be resorted to only for grave reasons. The wealthy people can afford to have all kinds of nursemaids and servants and helps, and they neglect their personal responsibilities to oversee everything for the welfare of their children. It is the duty of Catholic parents to send their child to a Catholic school. Now, we've already laid out the scenario that good things can be inverted and become bad things. I remember going to Oklahoma City where the people there told me of their ongoing battle with Catholic school authorities over the religious education program that was being promoted in a most pornographic way. The parents had the common sense to see this was not good. And the sisters and the brothers and the bishops insisted this was in place and was going to remain in place. So finally, the parents had to save their children by taking them out of the Catholic school. And you've heard of these instances in so many ways and forms and places that you cannot then follow this rule absolutely to send them to a Catholic school unless that Catholic school is genuine, genuinely Catholic, and upholds all the doctrines and practices of the Catholic Church. 
Catholic schools vary from place to place. Like most of the ambiguities in the new church and its continuity after Vatican Council II, that we're doubtful and we have to withdraw. Otherwise, we're swallowed up into this process of perversion. Deviation first, perversion, and then inversion. Secular or non-Catholic schools where the Catholic religion is not taught may be tolerated only when the diocesan bishop gives permission on account of prevailing circumstances. But it's like the situation if the policemen are the criminals, to whom do we go for protection? If the bishops are not upholding the true faith and its practices, its moral practices, where do we go? And you know what many have to do and have done and are doing, they have to go to homeschooling. They have to take back this obligation and lay aside other things that are a little bit less important, though important enough in their daily lives to teach their own children, to protect them against the subversive forces, not only of society, but even of the new church. And some people find it very difficult, very challenging, but the grace of God is available for you to do so successfully, give or take some mistakes, but to safeguard your children's faith and morality. You must do this if you don't have alternatives. Now, there are some religious schools that are not Catholic that are moral, that are upright, God-fearing, and teach correctly. You have to oversee that the false influences don't take away the Catholic details of life that you have to supply, but that these perhaps are the next best alternative, give or take some difficulties. At home, the parents should supervise the child's studies. And of course, if it is homeschooling, then to keep it in a school-like atmosphere, to be sure that you're going to accomplish the purpose of educating your children rather than fun and games or time offs or circumstances intervening. It takes a discipline, it takes orderliness, and it's very difficult to come by if you're not used to it. They should support the authority of the teacher in, a, in order to teach the child proper respect for authority. It is not edifying for parents criticize, to criticize or ridicule the teacher in the child's presence. Well, this is across the board for everybody. We are all human. We can make mistakes. We can be uh, misinformed, not intentionally, but if a t teacher makes mistakes or has a temperament uh, that is a little obnoxious or a little bit uh, strange, we don't criticize the teacher for the personal um, problems that they have, but to see that they do get the job done to teach correctly. And if parents have to face the fact that they too are human and they can make mistakes, children have to respect the fact that they too uh, have to forgive and overlook the mistakes and eccentricities perhaps in some ways or others of parents. Someday they're going to grow up, become a parent themselves and see that they too are subject to the same kind of influence, being human, to make mistakes and to be subject to comment or ridicule. And if they don't give it, then they won't receive it. And that's why we have to teach forgiveness, we have to teach humility, we have to teach um, charity towards one another for the human failings that we all exhibit sometime or other. The evil effects of such conduct on the child can hardly be overestimated. When you criticize, they become critical. When you're forgiving, they become forgiving. So education begins around the family table, in the home. There's where the seminary is, not the school you send them to, but what you do that they will remember from childhood on through their lives and will begin to emulate and imitate in their own lives. 
God provided this pattern for Catholic families, for all families, really. Parents must provide for a child's future by giving him an education that will develop his mind and character. It takes discipline, it takes ability, and it takes grace, really. They should also enable him to acquire some training, trade, or profession by which he may later become self-supporting. You're not going to have your children forever. You're going to educate them up to a maturity where they will then be able to take care of themselves and be productive on their own, apart from the parents. Parents who give a child all the food, candy, toys, and clothing he asks for only indulge him and show false love. We talk about the authentic and the false, the true, the real, and the illusion. And children will suffer when they are not trained but given everything they want. Girls should be made to dress with modesty uh, because of original sin. We're all inclined to evil from youth to excesses. And girls do not realize what goes on with a boy <clears throat> who is made up in a different way and can be incited to uh, thoughts of impurity because of this careless way a girl dresses, thinking to give uh, pleasure or to be attractive or means uh, uh, very well but uh, is ignorant and has to be taught the dangers uh, of immodest dressing. Now today it's gone totally out of control in so many forms and ways. But girls are going to be the mothers of families. And it's said that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. So you are very powerful. If you are true to your femininity, you are made to be a helpmate, to be a companion, to be the one that is the power behind the throne. Behind every great man is a great woman. And you are to be trained to that, not by license and freedom, but by control and uh, respect and by the God-given rules of our religion because of original sin to be modest and uh, not to be excessive in any way. And then you will retain that femininity, that power that God gave you to be a companion to the man who will be your spouse in marriage. Parents have no obligation to support their grown-up children. It is a bad practice to continue supporting older children for in that way they become lazy depending upon the parents. You know, when things are real nice at home, <clears throat> it's cushy to stay there and not have to go out into the brave world to make your own way. A little scary, a little bit difficult, but we all have to rise to that maturity in order to be able to leave home and to make your own way. How should parents provide moral and religious training? Parents should begin early, early, to give their child religious training. They should have pictures and statuary um, around and uh, articles of devotion that they will see and remember from childhood. One of my first recollections was the picture on the wall of Little Flower, St. Teresa of Lisieux. And I'm sure that that was very simple, quiet, but powerful influence on my young life and through the years that have come since then. To give early training in prayers, respect, manners, all these things from early, because as a child goes through the months and years of life, it's the earliest recollections that he repeats most often, goes back to them. 
Of course, it fades away, but these are the things he repeats. And the latest things have only been a few times to be recalled or remembered. So the early years are the important years, and even communists say, give us a child for eight years, and he'll be a communist forever. So an early childhood experience and training and orientation will be his general rule for life, his orientation in his Catholic living that begins at home early. As soon as the child can speak, he should be taught the ordinary prayers and told of God and holy things. It is a very praiseworthy custom to have family prayers in which all of the families, uh, all of the family members participate. Make it so. I know it's difficult. Everybody's got demands on their times. Children going to practices here or there, uh, meetings for parents and so on. But there should be a time for God and for family prayer, for the raising of the children, the orientation of the children. That's most important. A child should be made to say his morning and night prayers regularly. He should be taught his catechism and prepared for confession and First Holy Communion. He should be made to attend Mass and perform all his religious duties faithfully, together with the parents. How many following we Catholics there are who were baptized but never really raised in the Catholic religion, not taught their catechism, they don't know what it's all about, and somebody comes along of an evangelical style and they talk about the Bible and they draw them in and they become whatever other religion that they abandon their own Catholic religion that is the God-given faith for all men to be lost because of a lack of training, lack of uh, orientation in the truths of our Catholic faith and the practice of it. As you practice it, you get the grace. And as you get the grace, you practice it better. And as you practice it better, you get more grace. And so it reciprocates through in the enlightenment and the power that comes from heaven and not from the kingdom of this world. Parents must exercise continual vigilance to guard the child from moral evil. Today, moral evil is like the cesspool that has become our way uh, in civilization today, touted as advanced and uh, elegant and uh, acceptable. You know, it's evil and wicked and immoral and sinful. Child has to be protected, guarded, by being told about the evil that is against the background of the good that is to be, should be. So we don't want to keep them totally ignorant, but we want them to be cautious and prepared so that they will recognize evil and shy away from it. The responsibility grows with the years, and they have to be indoctrinated and trained and prepared for the increasing evils that they're going to face as the world does continue to change. Now, uh, we don't want hothouse plants. We want them to be able to brave the blasts of the world around us without being stunted or being injured by these moral evils, drugs, sex, uh, all kinds of um, uh, stealing, and uh, you name the breaking of the Ten Commandments. The devil's broken them all, and his followers break them as well. We don't want to break the commandments of God. So parents, be respectful and do your duties. And remember our Lord told St. Peter, watch and pray. He didn't say just pray, but watch and pray. So we have to be vigilant as well as prayerful. As the child grows older, he should not be allowed excessive liberty. Today, that's the watchword of our fall. Excessive liberty leads to evils, and evils leads to repression, and everybody suffers. 
especially with regards to the company he keeps and to staying out at night and so on and so on. There are so many gangs vying for membership that who can escape any one of these invitations? And yet you have to be strong not to become embroiled in any of this. Parents should always know where the child is, who his companions are. That's not being overly nosy, Budinsky, no, you should know. What he reads, look at his literature, know what's being taught in school if you go to public school, and what shows he sees, guard your own television set. You know, it's not that free expression of liberty that is the center of democracy, but we have a responsibility to God and you have the responsibility to teach that responsibility. Parents must correct the child's faults, taking care not to be either harsh or overly indulgent. It takes balance, it takes wisdom, it takes common sense. <clears throat> and uh, you're intimidated by big brother government uh, with the fear that maybe you will be abusive and the government will take your child away from you if you fail the test. We have to correct the child. He who spoils the rods, who spares the rod spoils the child from the Bible. So we have to pick which world are we going to be in. They must act with justice as well as mercy. Something that's not important should be kept small and what is important should not be overlooked. They must treat all their children equally and show no favoritism. A little difficult sometimes when one has more talent, more beauty, more uh, uh, capacity than another, but they're all children and they all have their inbuilt gifts from God. And while some may be hidden, yet to be discovered and used, uh, nevertheless, they're all from God, and you are the supervisor to help them achieve what God has made potentially possible for them within them. It takes a while to discover. But be fair with all of them, and let them grow to the fullness of what they can become. Parents who fly into a rage about a fault one day and laugh at the same fault another day can hardly expect their child to respect them. There has to be a, a constancy. You live with principles, not just with feelings. When you're up, then everything's okay. When you're down, nothing's right. Parents who are too good to correct child or punish, good in quotation marks, those who are too good to correct child or punish a child um, has committed grave faults uh, uh, who has committed grave faults. Let me read that again. Parents who are too good to correct, chide, or punish a child who has committed grave faults are either stupid or lazy. Parents do get tired. Sometimes they get discouraged. But we need that kind of strength every day to regenerate that sense of duty and application. They're bad parents otherwise, failing to do their duties to God. So marriage is not a free ride. It's not a cushy job. It's difficult, but you have the strength with God's help to do your duty if you apply yourself, watching and praying, and with common sense, reason guided by faith, doing your duty as parents. Parents must give good example to the child. Deeds are more powerful than words. If the parents neglect the sacraments, mass, and other religious duties, they cannot well expect their child to be, to be faithful. Go to church or go to confession. Go, no, come together. And the child will naturally fall into the pattern. Some parents think that just because they send their child to a good Catholic school, they have no further responsibility over his training. 
Now, we've been um, very careless in this. We assumed that everything was in order, and we were betrayed. But because of our foolishness, we were smug. The besetting sin of calf is a smugness. And we didn't watch. And now we suffer. Well, I expected the sisters, the priests, uh, the bishop to do these things. No, what about you? What did you do? However good a school, God did not give the child into the indep its independent care, but into that of the parents. Parents must train their children, not only by precept, but by chiefly example, and by the fruit the tree is known. If you see an apple hanging from a limb, you know that's an apple tree. By the fruit you will know them. So if the child is good, it's because the parents were good. Generally speaking, that is the way you judge. The bad apple, then the tree is sick or not good. What should be the attitude of parents when their children grow up? When their child is grown up, the parent should remember that their child is an individual whom God created for his own purposes and that he has his own rights and privileges. So you cannot interfere too much. You can guide, you can instruct, give them principles, let them reach the judgments correctly, and then let them go ahead with their expression of their life. They're an individual with dignity and responsibility before God. Parents should help their child accomplish God's purposes as much as they can. They must never be an obstacle to the child through selfishness or false love. We have these little children we recognize now that we're forced to participate in beauty parades and pageants and all this artificial um, adult-style uh, competition that is way out of order for children because the parents felt a need for this kind of thing that missed them, that they wanted to promote now in their children, and that's interference with God's opportunities and uh, capacities that he's given to the children because they're selfish or they have false love. They love themselves rather than the child. Parents should be most careful about their attitude when the child chooses an occupation, and especially when he chooses a state in life. You may not agree, but let the child try it out. If he makes a mistake, he can always try it again. In their child's choice of an occupation or profession, parents should act with wisdom and understanding. They should advise, but never force. I never forget meeting a priest who said, I didn't want to become a priest. My parents forced me into it, and I went along with it. But now that I'm a priest, I don't want to be a priest. What a sad situation. It happens sometimes that a child shows a strong inclination for a certain study. This should be encouraged for it is a sign of talent. It may not be a great talent or uh, an outstanding one, but it's what pleases him. So if he wants to become a biologist or study frogs, give it a chance. If the child shows no special inclination, then a mutual agreement and understanding should prevail. Pick out what seems to be best by the nature of the talents built in or capacities or powers that are unique to the individual. Study that and let us head that direction. If the child is strongly attracted to the study of farming or architecture, he should not be forced to become a lawyer because his father is a lawyer or because his parents wish to boast of a political son. Parents sometimes project their wishes and interfere with a child's life. How many are failures in their occupations today because their parents force them into a calling distasteful to them? 
Many parents, out of pure caprice, interfere with the practice of their child's profession or occupation by preventing his acceptance of positions, by wishing him to stay at home with him, and so on and so on. So the time to cut it off and let the child go and become a more mature person on his own. Such parents need not be surprised if they find themselves burdened with the support of their grown-up children and their families. They made a failure and they have to come back. If you cut off the wings of a bird, it cannot fly. So don't cut off the wings and they will find their way to fly. In the choice of a state in life which may make or mar the life of their child, parents should advise but not interfere. They want to marry a girl that doesn't seem to be, uh, or a boy that doesn't seem to fit their level. Uh, you can advise and show the lack of common sense, the emotionalism, sentimentality, the romantic idea of marriage that you find in uh, from Hollywood movies. Uh, the prince meets a, a, a little a servant girl. Well, they're two different uh, levels, different worlds, and it's not going to work eventually. So we try to advise but you can't interfere. Maybe it will work, but that has to be seen. If he wishes to marry and they have any objection to the partner he has chosen, they may state their objections. If the objection is very serious, they may try to prevent the marriage, but never otherwise. It's difficult for a priest sometimes when two people come in and you can see that they're not fitted to say, no, I will not participate. It's their choice. You advise, you try to influence them, and if they insist on going ahead, you have to give them their freedom in this matter. Uh, then you have the government uh, case of uh, alienation of affection that you could be subject to uh, by interfering unduly. Parents should not be selfish. Many are so selfish that wishing to keep their child to themselves, they can find no one in the whole world satisfactory as a partner for him. No, it's a very personal thing. There's a chemistry that goes on that doesn't take place with the parent and the one that is beloved, uh, but the child will find his partner, his match, and his way to make a happy marriage. Parents should remember that the child is entitled to his own life. When they die, he should be able to exist without them. So this is to train the child to maturity and then let them go. Finally, parents sin when they force their child to marry someone who he does not care for. There were arranged marriages in the past, and they were not all bad. Parents could have a sober evaluation of uh, family background and abilities and whatnot and make a suitable marriage arrangement, but they cannot force it. <coughs> Parents must not meddle in the affairs of their married children. This interference is a frequent source of disagreement between couples, mother-in-laws and uh, daughters-in-laws and all of this that goes on. Remember, they have their way to make their... Uh, successful path together and remember they have to sleep in the bed they make so hopefully they will make a good match and proceed with reason guided by faith and training parents must be very careful of the attitude if they uh, uh, of their attitude if their child chooses a religious vocation and I told my parents I wanted to become a priest as a little boy they were surprised but they said, if that's what you want to be, we'll help you along. I had um, relatives, not relatives, but close friends. One boy wanted to become a priest. His family would never allow it. He later tried to commit suicide. 
because of his frustration. Sad how things can develop when there's improper interference. So when we talked about Abraham having two sons, every parent and every child has two children, potential for good or for evil. And remember, the world is calling out into itself that evil for a child to follow in the appearance of it being good. But we have that kingdom from God, which is the true kingdom, the real kingdom, that uh, Jerusalem which is from above, which is Christ. And if you carry out your duties, you will, in your seminary of your home, produce the priests, whether they're married as husbands or whether their children become uh, dedicated to God in the married state or not, they will be of the freedom of the inheritance of the kingdom of God. So you see, you have their future in your hands. And the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world, your child's world, that one world that is under God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.